In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen, and good morning to you on this first Sunday of the Christmas season. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, I know that biblical exegesis doesn't necessarily qualify as material for an exciting or heartfelt sermon, but one of our readings being the prologue to John's Gospel today might just make for an exception. A friend of mine once told me that an argument could be made that the word word in the prologue of John's Gospel could be translated as relationship. The results of such a translation being the following. In the beginning was the relationship. And the relationship was with God. And the relationship was God. Whoa! If you're a fan of perichoresis and the doctrine of the Trinity, or perhaps you, if you are newly infatuated, translating the beginning of John's Gospel by replacing word with relationship is enticing. But if you're a student of the Bible, it actually makes no sense at all. The meaning of the word word in Greek is logos, and logos means literally a word or an encounter or a statement, not a relationship per se. More, the word logos is a rendering of the Hebrew word davar, which appears over 1,400 times in the Greek version of the New Testament and never means anything other than word, mostly. I say mostly because during the intertestamental period, a time spanning approximately the 400 years between the ministry of the prophet Malachi and the appearance of John the Baptist. Outside of temple worship, most Jews spoke Aramaic and couldn't read or speak in biblical Hebrew. Targums, targums were oral translations of the Hebrew Bible spoken in Aramaic by expert translators. And over time, two targums, one a translation of the Torah and another a translation of the Nevi'im, or the prophets, became authorized versions of the Hebrew Bible. In many places in these Targums, the word Devar, or Logos, is used to describe God's presence or God's action, where in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, the word Devar was not used. So here are these examples. In the in the Hebrew Bible, in Exodus, Moses brought forth the people to meet with God, but in the Targum, Moses brought forth the people to meet the Word of God. Also in Exodus, the Sabbath is a sign between me and you, but in the Targum, the Sabbath is a sign between my Word and you. Finally, in the book of the prophet Isaiah, by my hand I laid the foundations of the earth, and in the Targum, by my Word I have founded the earth. What is happening here, in one sense at least, is a gradual historical and theological move toward the transcendent. By the time of John the Baptist, and certainly by the time that the author of John's Gospel was, by the time that the Gospel according to John was writing his Gospel, Jews were interchangeably using the Word of God and the Word God. Thus, hear John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. All things came to being through him, wrote John. Now, one important note to make here is that in none of the 1,400 instances of the use of the word devar or logos as they relate to God in the Septuagint suggest a personification of God. In other words, God was not becoming a he, but rather the word of God was coming to life in a new way. Now, I'm not attempting here a lucid argument about John's Christology or more simply an orthodoxy, an argument about 
orthodoxy or monotheism. What I'm trying to say on this first Sunday of Christmas is that the author of the Gospel of John reminds us that the incarnation of Jesus is God's word in action. That Jesus is a divine version of performative language, of creative speech. From the beginning was God. The word of God was and is and always will be. I mentioned above that what is happening in the prologue of John's gospel, especially when compared to the synoptics, seems to me to be an historical and theological step toward the transcendent. Despite the witness of the gospel as a whole, including the author's obvious issues with Second Temple Judaism, or at least the religious authorities who represented Second Temple Judaism in his day, what John's gospel doesn't do is abandon any connections with the past. To, to use a rather crude and seasonably apt metaphor, John doesn't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Despite the absence of a nativity scene, the beginning of the story of the incarnation in John's gospel affirms that a modern encounter with God is equivalent to an ancient encounter with the word of God. Recently, I came across two things. The first is a set of compelling visualizations made by a collaboration between Lutheran pastor Christoph Romhild and Chris Harrison, a computer scientist at Carnegie Mellon University. You can easily find the visualization on the internet. It's a brilliant series of colored lines that are arcs which span a horizontal scale representing every single verse in Holy Scripture. The relative length of each arc represents the number of textual cross-references, all 63,000 of them, that occur throughout the Bible from its beginning to its end. The second thing I was blessed to come across is a book edited by Ann Coxon, Briarney Fur, and Maria Mueller-Sherak about the work of fabric artist Annie Albers, whose life's work is described in the book as an exploration of the event of a thread. Quotes in the book describe Albert's determination to make weaving modern as an encounter, as a counter to more conventional narratives of modern art. Her work widened the historical scope of geometric abstraction to include a complex set of relationships to tactile experience and the process of making as opposed to the more familiar modernist emphasis on innovation and rupture with the past. The synchronicity of the old and the new in her work suggests a different kind of cultural transmission, a transmission in which ancient techniques could continue to revitalize contemporary experience. Albers described weaving as an adventure of being close to the stuff the world is made of, her weaving stories date back to classical mythology that have fueled Western metaphysics and literature, but mainly they speak of things other than the actual process of making textiles. They speak of memory or forgetting, of finding and losing oneself. Artist Naomi Shehab Nye concludes her beautiful poem, Kindness, with the following lines. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. 
You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the world, into the day to gaze at bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for. And then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. The prologue to John's gospel describing the incarnation and indeed the entirety of the New Testament, I dare say, while it is a theological innovation of a sort, is not, as some may think, a rupture with the past, but it's rather a reminder that the journey of faith and a vision of the true God is one that comes into sight when we begin to catch the thread and see the size of the divine cloth. Then and only then in nice words will it be that the word of God comes into our hearts and says, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with us everywhere like a shadow or like a friend. May each of us in this season of the incarnation hear and know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, full of grace and full of truth. And may each of us receive God's word, believe in God's name, and this Christmas, behold God's glory. Amen.